Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his Grand Circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. From the lands of the Orient, 欢迎你们来自世界各地的炎黄子孙. Hey, how's everybody doing today? It's Dave, and I am at the Walt Disney World Resort over in Epcot, and I'm going to explore the China Pavilion today. Uh, so come with me as we explore the history and the culture of China as it's expressed in Epcot. We'll talk a little bit about the pavilion and what it has in it, and some of the things that you can see and do. As I've done with previous podcasts about the countries at Epcot, I'll break this up and I'll give you an overview, talk about the buildings, designs, and architecture, then move on to talk about the grounds, outdoor gardens, and displays. I'll then head inside and talk about all the inside displays and shopping. Afterward, I'll tell you about the entertainment that you'll find, characters, and kid stuff. I'll end with dining options and drinking around the world. And finally, I'll give you some details on what either was planned for the pavilion or what's planned for the future. This is the sixth in a series of podcasts I've created to look at the World Showcase portions of Epcot. If you want to hear more, check out my show notes page for links to each of the other podcasts. So far, I've covered an overview, Japan, Germany, Mexico, and Canada. Now, before I start, let me say that I'm going to try, and I emphasize try, and pronounce certain Chinese words correctly. I apologize in advance for any mispronunciations, or if I call your grandmother a hamster by mistake. First off, let me give you a quick history of China to set the stage. It's the world's second largest country in terms of its total area. Its history begins nearly a million years ago, but it's most remarkable for the various dynasties that ruled the land for hundreds or even thousands of years at a time. These dynasties started somewhere around 2100 BCE and lasted for nearly 4,000 years, starting with the Xia and ending with the Qing dynasty. The great imperial dynasties promoted what we think of as traditional Chinese traditions and culture. But nothing lasts forever. Wars, isolationism, infighting, and other factors led to the fall of the last Chinese dynasty. And in 1912, China became the Republic of China, which now had a president instead of a ruling empire. During the Second World War, Chiang Kai-shek ruled the mainland, but as the war drew to a close, he was effectively run out of town and out of the country, and he moved to the island of Taiwan, breaking it from the republic as he lived in exile. Taiwan still has somewhat of a muddled international status, as many countries refer to it as Chinese Taipei. But that's really a story for another day. It was the Communist Party that drove Chiang Kai-shek out, and in 1949 they reformed as the People's Republic of China, and effectively closed their borders to the rest of the world, much as the last dynasty had done. For the most part, intrigue surrounded this land. Westerners had a brief glimpse of what China was like in the nearly 50 years it was the Republic, but now that it was closed again, it became an exotic and somewhat mysterious land to others around the world. Chairman Mao Zedong kept the, the country as an isolationist nation until something called ping-pong diplomacy took over. Yes, it was based around an actual ping-pong match, and Richard Nixon visited in the early 1970s. 
At that time, we started to see through the borders and finally got a peek at China again. And here we are in the 1970s, as Disney is considering what pavilions might work in Epcot. Wanting to embrace multiple cultures, and to put aside the cold shoulder that went along with the Cold War, Disney thought representing a communist country was intriguing and courted both China and the Soviet Union as host nations. Both countries showed some amount of interest, but the Soviet Union insisted that its communist doctrine be a focal point of the pavilion. Disney was happy to represent aspects of the nation, but didn't want to go that far. They wanted the pavilion to be a showcase of the culture, the people, the heritage, and food, and not overtly represent the politics and social doctrines of communism. China, with its newfound open borders and interest in standing on a world stage and letting more people see who they really were, was more than willing to show the world their country and its many treasures. And that's how China came to be a World Showcase Pavilion, and it opened as one of the original opening day pavilions. It makes so much sense to have the China Pavilion because the Chinese have produced many innovations, scientific discoveries, and inventions. Their contributions really run the gamut to things like papermaking, inventing the compass, uh, gunpowder, printing, and so on and so on and so on. China's history is rich with inventions and all kinds of ideas, and it makes perfectly good sense to represent them as one of the host nations. Now today, China is an emerging world leader in trade, engineering, medicine, and has one of the world's most active space programs. Trade with the United States is its most important export market, and today it has the world's second largest economy. But it's also, to a large degree, a country lost in the mists of time. China is steeped in ancient traditions and beliefs. Many still practice them today. Nomads still roam as their ancestors did on the plains of the Gobi Desert, and the ancient practices of acupuncture, beliefs in numerology, and herbal medicine still prevail. So it really does make it a very interesting pavilion to have at World Showcase. Now, the China Pavilion is perhaps the most detailed of all the pavilions in terms of the overall flow and the architecture. There are so many architectural styles, statues, gardens, and even colors that have meaning in Chinese lore, history, and everyday life. So let's explore what's there. Let's talk about the grounds and gardens. First, we'll stand in front of the pavilion and turn around and look out toward the World Showcase Lagoon. Right near where the Joy of Tea Shop is located. Here you see three separate rock formations, with branches and trees arranged around them as part of the design. This was done to represent the ancient Chinese belief that unusual rock formations brought inner peace and serenity. The design of these formations is surprising. It's meant to look simple, but is fairly complex in design. In Chinese lore, it was thought that intense contemplation involving strange rock formations would bring peace and contentment. The emperors of older China actually sought out and brought such rocks to their palaces. If you look long enough, you start to see figures emerge. Dragons, serpents, and other mythical creatures have been called out by guests. Are any of them actually there? That's part of what makes this interesting. By examining them, you're following the tradition and finding that inner peace as you stare at the rocks. You focus on the rocks and forget about other things. Now turn around and face the pavilion. You can see that you have a few buildings of Chinese design, including the restaurant on the left, but the immediate feature you see is a gate with a walkway and a building behind that. Off to the right is a garden. The gate is the Zhaoyanmen, or Gate of the Golden Sun. This is a reproduction of a gate that's found at the Summer Palace that's located about nine miles north of Beijing. The Summer Palace itself was always the playground of royalty. The gate is inscribed with good wishes, so if you're able to read or translate Chinese, you can see that the Chinese characters are wishing you well on your journey. 
as you peer through the gate, you should notice that China seems to be divided into two sections. The left side is more commercial. The right is more picturesque. It represents China as a country, with its growing commercial business set among the beauty of the traditional Chinese culture. First, we'll explore the garden side because it's the larger portion. After entering the pavilion, guests come across a lotus pool surrounded by a typical Chinese garden with a winding path off to the right. But let's go up the main pathway first. There's a little courtyard just inside the gate. That's used for various activities, character greetings, shows, and sometimes even for a Disney wedding. We'll cross the bridge, and we're headed toward the building called the Temple of Heaven, which was meant to be the weenie to bring people in. What is this building that's behind the gate? Let's walk toward it. That's the whole idea of the weenie. It's a beautiful and detailed reproduction of a building of the same name, built between 1406 and 1420 during the reign of the Yongle Empire as part of the complex located southeast of central Beijing. Disney's version is a half-scale of the original building. It's designed to look as though you are ascending into the sky. It reflects the mythical cosmological laws believed to be central to the workings of the universe. Both the overall arrangement and the buildings themselves reflect the relationship between sky and earth that would be the core of understanding of the universe, at that time, are represented. The area inside the temple is known as the Hall of Prayer for Good Harvests. Here, the emperor would pray, and would also make sacrifices during the winter solstice to ensure a good harvest in the spring. Leading up to the Hall of Prayer for Good Harvests is a beautiful flat, mar beautiful flat marble sculpture, another reproduction of the original in Beijing. As we step inside, look around at the detail, it's pretty amazing. There's a significance in the arrangement and placement of everything that's in here. There are 12 columns supporting the roof. They represent the months of the year and the 12-year cycle of the Chinese calendar. There are four additional columns, and they represent the four seasons. Now look up at the dome. You'll see a golden dragon and a phoenix with a pearl. The dragon represents power, and if the dragon has five claws, it represents the emperor's power. The phoenix signifies peace and prosperity. Together, they represent marriage. Here it alludes to something greater than that. Now, as I mentioned, the Chinese believe in numerology, and the number nine is considered lucky. So if you look down, on the rotunda floor, the middle stone is surrounded by nine stones. That stone is located in the center of the Hall of Prayer and Good Harvest. If you stand on that stone and speak, your voice will echo off the ceiling and come back to you. The symmetry of the building makes the acoustics perfect in that way. It's a cool thing to try when you go in. Just stand there for a moment and speak, and you'll hear yourself. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting, because it's so acoustically perfect. Just beyond the hall is the entrance to the Circle Vision movie that exists here in the China Pavilion. We'll get back to that in a while. The back part of the hall is really the holding area for people waiting to see the show. Also located in the hall, models of Shanghai Disney have been on display. And do I even need to mention how far the relationship between China and the West has come? Opening a theme park in Shanghai really does bring that full circle. Now if we step outside and look to our right, next to the Hall of Prayers is, is the House of the Whispering Willows. In here, the current exhibit is the Tomb Warriors, Guardian Spirits of Ancient China. This fantastic display opened on October 1st, 2006, and is a scaled-down portrayal of the actual tomb of the Emperor, Xin Shi Huang, who ruled from 260 to 210 BCE. His tomb was discovered accidentally in 1974 by local farmers in the Xi'an. This tomb was the result of Emperor um, Qinxi Huang's search for immortality. It was then that the amazing terracotta army was unearthed. The original terracotta figures they found are life-sized, but vary in height slightly, as well as their uniform, hairstyle, and no one figure has the same facial expression as any other figure. 
Their purpose was to guard Qin Shi Huang in the afterlife. After all, he was the first emperor of China. Disney Imagineers and their Chinese counterparts did the painstaking work of creating a smaller scale replica of the original, each with its own facial expressions and quirks, much like the original. Take the time to look at this exhibition and other artifacts on display. It's kind of amazing when you stop and consider that this represents something that's nearly 2,000 years old. Although this has been on display for some time now, there have been other exhibits, including artifacts on loan from the Republic of China's Peace Museum, that have made their way through the, the House of the Whispering Willows. If you step back outside and head in front of the temple again, look to your left. We see the winding path I mentioned before. The path goes around the lotus pool and back toward the entrance, to the pavilion. The garden is in the area between the path and the main bridge you use to come across to the temple. These gardens are typical of China's six top gardens located in Shanghai, Shuzhou, Beijing, and Lhasa. But this one is mostly inspired by the gardens found in Shuzhou, a large city near Shanghai. The path is usually not crowded, and it's a way to step away into a serene and quiet setting. There are footbridges, bamboo gardens, and a small waterfall and ponds to see and enjoy. The trees seen along the path are native to China. One that's represented is the contorted mulberry tree, which is important to the silk industry in China. Silk moths build their cocoons in these trees, and other species are the camellia bush and the native bamboo trees. And by the way, the camellia bush is where the tea of the same name comes from. Starting back at the entrance again, let's head into the business part of the pavilion. On your left is the sit-down Nine Dragons restaurant, followed by the quick service location. Continuing on, guests walk down a walkway which is called the Street of Good Fortune, which was inspired by the roadways found in Beijing. In fact, Disney Imagineers intentionally made the path more narrow than the guest capacity would dictate in order to have guests experience the crowded conditions of modern China. Look up as you walk along. You'll notice curved eaves on the roofs of the buildings. They are curved to keep out evil spirits. But on the majority of the eaves, you'll see a terracotta portrayal of Prince Min straddling a hen followed by a troop of animals behind him. He was so cruel to his subjects that he was hanged. He's portrayed on the buildings in effigy as a warning to other rulers, and the animals behind him prevented his escape. Now take a look at the entrance to the House of Good Fortune, the main shop. You'll notice two noble-looking lions standing guard. Lions are considered the king of all the animals. Under the paw of the lion on your right, there's a ball, and the lion on the left has a lion cub. The cub epitomizes offspring and the ball, unity of empire. So they're both very important in Chinese culture. Near the back, be sure to inspect the unique Bianzhang bell. These bells were usually in a set, an odd number of course, given the numerology significance. These sets of chime bells were used as musical instruments, and some of the bells have been dated between 2,000 and 3,600 years old. They had no clappers, but were struck with a wooden mallet. Check out the building on the right side. There's a nod to the influence of Western culture in China, a telephone booth that seems out of place, but is truly intentional in its placement. Now that we've looked around the entire pavilion, let's talk about shopping. Outside the main pavilion, near the rock formation, you encounter the Good Fortune Gifts. Here you can find some quaint items such as puppets, Chinese hats, umbrellas, and things of that nature. But inside, along the business district, is where the real action is. Walk along the street of Good Fortune, and just past the quick service restaurant, you'll see the House of Good Fortune, China's main store. From the opening of Epcot in 1983 until 2011, it was known as Yangfeng Shangdian, but it was remodeled and renamed, though much of the merchandise remains the same. 
Here you'll find almost anything, wine, clothing, books, ceramics, pottery, statues, and so on. Its wide variety of merchandise includes silk clothing, lacquer and mother-of-pearl inlay furniture, yixing teapots and jade carvings, stuffed pandas, incense, candles, paper fans, and more. Beijing Closene ware is one of the specialty items found here, as well as Chinese lanterns, oriental carpets, and Jingdezhen chinaware. In the jewelry section of the store, you'll find a gorgeous coral, jade, and crystal pieces. After walking through the entire shop, you exit into an open-air market that offers books on meditation, calligraphy, and the Chinese language. You'll also find children's toys and the Kidcot Station. If you ask at the Kidcot Station, they'll write your name in Chinese and stamp your passport with the Chinese symbol for the year we're in. And this year happens to be the year of the monkey, so you can get a monkey stamp in your, in your passport. Now, as far as entertainment, at times you can find your traditional Chinese folk group called Xixian inside the Hall of Prayer and Good Harvest. And you won't want to miss the gymnastic troupe called the Jewel Dragon Acrobats, who perform generally in the courtyard area. These young performers have an incredible dexterity and balance. They stage about five shows a day, five days a week, and showtimes are posted next to the Gate of the Golden Sun. Mulan, and sometimes Mushu too, hold regular character meetings in the courtyard, or back by the Lotus Pond, or when the weather doesn't permit, inside the temple. Back in Podcast 242, I talked about how China is one of the two places that still have a Circle Vision movie, Reflections of China. It's a stunning modern depiction of China today using the nine-camera rig to capture a complete view of everything around you. The show lasts for 13 minutes, and as we've discussed, it's only standing room in the, in the building, but you're watching the theater around you. Now, this film replaces the original offering at the pavilion. Unlike Canada, this was not at the request of the Chinese government. Rather, it was reflective of the fact that China made many advances over the years, and we've learned so much more about the country in the 40-ish years since they opened their doors, and the 30 years since Epcot's been around. So in 2003, this film started a new run. The movie features footage of China, including the Great Wall, the Forbidden City of Beijing, the Gobi Desert, Inner Mongolia, and the Yangtze River, and the tropical rainforest of Hainan Island. Shanghai. Set your gaze across the Huangpu River and you will find a 
China that reaches for the sky. Yet in this city of East meets West, one can still find treasures of Shanghai's stately European influence. Even in the hectic pace of modern China, there is always time for Tai Chi, a tradition that has endured for centuries. Much of it has been recorded in this fashion. However, it may be said that the history of the Chinese people is not written in ink, but with water. The mighty Yangtze River. A fellow poet once wrote, "Traveling against the currents of the Yangtze is more difficult than climbing to heaven." That may have been once true, but no longer.
China's national minorities. The cultures of this province are as diverse as the landscape, like the Shilin Stone Forest, one of nature's unique wonders.
playground for the emperor. But now it is a playground for all of China. I have brought you to a place of unique beauty called Reed Flute Cave. The same forces that shape these pillars of stone have done a more remarkable job directly above us. Now, some people enjoy sampling adult beverages from the countries around World Showcase. There are two places to get an alcoholic beverage, the Lotus Blossom Cafe, the quick service restaurant, which features several Chinese beers, as well as plum wine, and the Joy of Tea features several Chinese-inspired cocktails and various beers from China. Of course, if you sit down in the Nine Dragons restaurant, you can also enjoy a Chinese beer, but if you're just looking to drink around the world, you might want to stop at one of the quick service locations. Now let's talk about dining in China. Amazingly, when the China Pavilion opened at Epcot, it did not include a dining location. Interestingly, because of the way the pavilions were laid out, the space where the restaurant lies was originally going to be part of a Denmark pavilion. And so in spite of the abundance of open space around the lagoon, there wasn't room for a restaurant right in that space. But that changed in 1985. Around the time that Disney decided that there wasn't going to be a, an Epcot Center Phase 2 anytime in the immediate future, they opened the quick-service Lotus Blossom Cafe in September and the sit-down Nine Dragons restaurant next to it in October. And currently, there are three locations, those two, plus the Joy of Tea. The Nine Dragons restaurant is one of the few restaurants in the World Showcase where you'll often find availability as a walk-up. The eatery underwent a total rehab in 2008, replacing its drab, over-opulent and garish, more or less 70s look with a more modern, upbeat decor. 
There are beautiful carved dragon motifs in the dark wood, much use of red fabrics. Now, red is considered as the color of royalty, good fortune, and joy, so it makes a lot of sense. And as with most Chinese eateries, the tables and settings are spartan, but clean and neat. Inside the lobby, look up at the ceiling and see the beautiful gold dragon. I'd like to give you a word or two about the food that's served here. Most of the dishes that you see are fairly authentic Chinese food, and not the made-for-American palate Chinese food that most of us are used to. It's not what you'd find in most typical, what we think of as Chinese restaurants in the United States. This is a little bit different and more representative of the types of Chinese dishes you would find in mainland China. The food they serve in the Nine Dragons is from the four regions of China, the Cantonese, Sichuan, Jiangxi, and Mandarin. Now, the Lotus Blossom Cafe next door, just a little bit past it, is a counter-service restaurant, and the food served here is more like a typical Chinese restaurant that you'd find in the United States. It offers shrimp fried rice with egg rolls, orange chicken dishes, chicken salad, and things of that nature that are more Americanized or Westernized that we'd be more familiar with. I highly suggest you sit down and try the Chinese food in the Nine Dragons. Get a taste of the culture of China and what it's really like, rather than the made-for-American palate type of food that we're used to. Just a suggestion, but I think it's really kind of neat to experience the culture and really what it's all about. When you sit down, talk to the waiter or waitress who, who comes over to the table and ask them about what kinds of food, the, food they serve and what they think about them and what you'll be getting. I think you'll find that it's actually kind of neat and a little more interesting than just going next door to the Lotus Blossom and ordering shrimp fried rice. I think you can find something that's a lot more interesting and a lot more appealing and really has a lot more flavor. The third location is the Joy of Tea. We generally think of tea as being an integral part of Chinese life, similar to what it is in, in many of the Eastern countries. According to Chinese legend, tea was first discovered by the Chinese emperor and herbalist Shen Yong in 2737 BCE. The emperor always boiled his water before drinking, and while on a trip, a servant was boiling his water, and a dead leaf from a tea bush fell in unnoticed, and when he drank it, he found it refreshing, and thus, tea was discovered. To celebrate this esteemed drink, the Joy of Tea stand at the entrance of the pavilion serves hot and cold tea, small snacks, and alcoholic beverages. Tea is considered by the Chinese as one of the seven requirements of life, along with salt, soy sauce, vinegar, firewood, rice, and oil. Now let's talk about China and what was in the pavilion at one point in time. In order to help showcase the diversity of China, plans for the pavilion called for a Circle Vision 360 film called The Wonders of China to be filmed. To create the movie, Disney entered into negotiations with the Chinese government over where they could and could not film. Although Disney was initially given tight filming restrictions, the company in China eventually came to an agreement where the Chinese film crews would film the country's more sensitive areas where the government did not want Westerners to go such as Tibet and the Great Wall, and Disney would, could manage the rest. So while Disney itself was able to put together the entire film, much of it was actually filmed by locals in China who were carrying around the nine-camera rig to various locations. The official title of it was Wonders of China, Land of Beauty, Land of Time. Disney went through a lot of negotiations to get there, so filming finally began in autumn of 1981 and concluded in the spring of 1982. To narrate the film, an actor posing as the ancient Chinese poet Li Bai, who lived from 701 to 762, often considered the greatest Chinese poet of all time, was utilized in the film, and that provided a lot of the context and gave you that feeling like you were watching some of ancient China. 
The film was 19 minutes long and gave the world a view of China as it had never seen before. The film explored Beijing's Forbidden City, the windy steeps of Mongolia, the 2,400-year-old Great Wall, and the tomb of Qin Shi Huang, the fierce emperor who was laid to rest guarded by his army of life-size soldiers. Here's a little fun fact for you. When filming for the Huangshan mountain sequence, over three dozen locals were hired to lift the 300-pound rig over the 16,700 stone steps. Now, the actor who played Li Bai was actually Qi Luke. Now, you may have seen him in other roles. He played number one son in the early versions of the Charlie Chan films in the 1930s and was the original Kato in the Green Hornet film serials from 1939 to 1941. So he has some, uh, some interesting history that you would recognize him outside of the role as Li Bai. But it was kind but he went by the name of Key Luke in the American cinema. He was known as one of the most prominent Asian actors in American cinema in the mid-20th century. So it says something that Disney signed him on to play the poet Lee Bai. For countless centuries, the people of the world knew China only through her paintings. The fantastic scenery and unusual landscapes are not the fanciful creation of artists, but the reality of China. Perhaps nowhere else on earth does one country encompass such a diversity. From the vast western wilderness of Xinjiang province to the harsh deserts of Gansu, From the fabled mountains of Tibet, the roof of the world, to the tropical rainforests of Guangdong. I am Li Bai. I was a poet in the 8th century, the Tang Dynasty. But that's not important now. I've come to show you modern China. These are the grasslands of Inner Mongolia. Traditions are very strong here, such as giving, passing strangers some tea. Oh, you go on ahead. I'll be right there. traveled all over China and everywhere one sees our history. Uh, begun 24 centuries ago, the Great Wall once stretched like a, like a dragon across the northern border of China. 
now, like many other historical treasures, it is one of China's legacies of the past. For eight centuries, this dangerous intersection of three rivers has been guarded by a silent stone sentinel, the giant Buddha of Leshan. China also has a living legacy of her past, the classic Peking opera. In the center of Beijing is perhaps the greatest legacy of China's imperial past, the Forbidden City. For over 500 years, it was the center of the earth, and no one entered without the permission of the emperor. Since the declaration of the People's Republic, the Forbidden City is no longer forbidden. Twenty-four emperors, called the Sons of Heaven, ruled from the Dragon Throne. When I first came here, I was overwhelmed by its sheer size. Today, it still has the power to humble. During the European Renaissance, the emperors of the Ming Dynasty built this walled city of six palaces and 9,000 rooms. How dramatic that moment must have been when the common people first entered these once hallowed grounds. Gone are the landlords, warlords, and emperors. It is now a special place for all Chinese. not. My soul is serene. We have had a long history. Much of it has been recorded in this fashion. However, it may be said that the history of the Chinese people 
is not written in ink, but with water. Water, at times too much and sometimes not enough. It has been China's sorrow for ages. Along the 3,000 miles of Yangtze River live and work one-tenth of the population of the world. They are no longer the servants of water, but its master. terraces climb like a thousand steps up the mountain walls. The green fields stretch across the plain. All things pass with the east flowing river. Suzhou. <laughs> its very name means plentiful water. This 3,000-year-old city sits on the Grand Canal, the largest man-made waterway in the world. Many travelers have passed this way. Marco Polo, for example. Uh, he once called Suzhou the Venice of the East. I suppose... If I had traveled to Europe, they would now call Venice the Suzhou of the West. At the end of those east-flowing rivers is one of the world's greatest cities, Shanghai. Its European influences are unmistakable, but its vitality variety and sophistication are distinctly Chinese. Cosmopolitan Daylight. Morning exercises along the West Lake make Hangzhou seem worlds apart from Shanghai.
I first made the difficult climb to the top of Huangshan during the Tang Dynasty. It hasn't changed. The formations, the solitude, the weather, all create a feeling of serenity. A poet of the Ming Dynasty once wrote, after seeing the five sacred mountains, ordinary mountains are nothing. After seeing Huang Shan, the five sacred mountains are nothing. <laughs> China is so vast that even within her borders, there are distant lands. In the far northeast, there is Heilongjiang. Winter here can last six months. Where others might curse the climate, these people celebrate. Far to the south is Yunnan province, where the Xilin stone forest is one of the unique works of nature. Here too is the homeland of one of China's national minorities, the Yi people. Western frontier lies the wilderness that is Xinjiang province. Its capital, Urumuchi, is so far from any ocean, it is the most inland city on earth. ever seem timeless and remote. The Potala Palace dominates the city of Lhasa. The way Buddhism dominates Tibetan life. This 17th century palace of 1,000 rooms and 10,000 altars is the center of their religion. Living at the roof of the world, an altitude of 12,000 feet, the people endure a harsh lifestyle with determination and courage. Jia Yuguan in Gansu province was once a way station on the ancient Silk Road. Oh, yes. <laughs> I almost forgot. Out here in the Gobi Desert, one also finds the extreme western end of the Great Wall. 
with its tail lying in the desert. The dragon's head lies thousands of miles to the east at Shanghai Guam, where it drinks from the Bohai Sea. you to a place of unique beauty called Reed Flute Cave. The same forces that shape these pillars of stone have done a more remarkable job directly above us. The landscape of Guilin is unsurpassed in all of China. Indeed, all the world. The unusual hills are limestone formations called karst. They were thrust upward from an ancient seabed and then eroded by wind and rain. <laughs> Whatever their origin, for centuries they have been the subject of countless artists and poets, like myself. like a silver snake through scattered dragon's teeth. Whoever looks on this loses himself in eternity. Well, we have returned once more to Beijing having seen the face of the land from both far and near. But there are other faces to China. We're now at the Temple of Heaven, where we've come, full circle. I wrote a poem many years ago it's like this. This is the place where we must sever. You go thousands of miles, my friend, once forever. Like the floating clouds, we drift apart. The sunset lingers like the feelings of my heart. Now, listening to both of the shows, Reflections of China and The Wonders of China, you may notice that the voice of the narrator, Li Bai, is the same voice. 
That's because they re-edited Key Luke to be the same person in both of the shows. Now, for the video portion of it, they used a stand-in a couple of times with his head turned slightly or him doing something so that you didn't know it was a different person, but it looked a lot like Key Luke anyway, and that's kind of how they pulled it together. So it's a really fascinating little sub-story there that they continued to use Key Luke to play Lee Bai because it was such a powerful performance. And that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we really can do it. Bye now. And just one last request before I let you go. If you can, please support this podcast in any way you like. I have three ways of supporting me. Number one is the easiest, and it's free. Just head over to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you happen to be listening to this podcast and give me a quick review. Tell other people how great you think this podcast is, and it'll help grow the podcast. The second way is to go ahead and purchase one of the apps I have for sale over at DisneyPodcast.net or DisneyWorldPodcast.net. I create apps for iOS devices, so for Apple devices, your iPhones and your iPads, and I've got a couple that are Disney-related that you might enjoy. So take a look at those and see if any one of them might be interesting to you. And the third way is, I've recently set up a Patreon account. It's patreon.com slash DisneyView. And if you like, just make a quick financial contribution. I'm happy to continue doing this regardless, but if you like the show and you'd like to contribute in some way, I'm always happy to take a small contribution. I'm not, there's no requirement, I'm not asking for much, but if you do give me a contribution, I'm happy to give you a shout-out on this podcast in the future. Hey, thanks very much, and I hope you enjoy my podcast. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View Podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there, please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 